Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, everybody. Today, we're going to talk about the disappearance of Brian Schaefer. And I actually hadn't heard of this case before. One of our Patreons, the wonderful Kendra, had mentioned it. Had you heard of it before? I had heard of it. And I remember reading some articles on it a long time ago. And I was like, huh, this is really weird. And I searched around for a few minutes. And then I'm like, I don't know. And I kind of lost track of it. And now I'm like, I'm invested. So thanks, Kendra. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Also, Amanda and I are in like a ton of Facebook groups. We talk about all the time. But one of the groups we were in, there was a prompt and it was like, what's your favorite unsolved case? And I was scrolling through like looking and it was like Brian Schaefer, Brian Schaefer, Brian Schaefer, Brian Schaefer after Kendra had brought it up. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. This is a widely wondered about case. So we're going to jump right on into it. So we're going to start with who was Brian Schaefer? He was a second year medical student at Ohio University, and he'd also grown up in Ohio. At the time of his disappearance, he was 27 years old, but he'd be 42 today. Yeah. He had a slight but muscular seeming physique. He seemed like an athletic guy. He was 6'2", but he was 165 pounds. He was a white guy with light brown hair and hazel eyes and had a Pearl Jam tattoo on his upper right arm. And I also think it was it's interesting, too, just like that little Pearl Jam note is one of the places that I saw a lot of people chittering about him was a Pearl Jam forum. There was like 42 pages of forum about people talking about this. Yeah, there's a bunch. So I just thought that was interesting that this band that he loved enough to tattoo on his body, the communities of other people who also like this band also were like, we care about you. And I believe you had noted, too, that they'd actually mentioned him being missing at one of their concerts. They did. They they read like the missing persons poster and even gave, here's what he looks like. Here's where he went missing. Here's more information. Here's the website. Call this number. So that's pretty nice of them. You know, a whole stadium filled with people. They're talking about it. Yeah, you don't often hear that at the head of a concert. I feel like they owed it to him, though. You know, like a super fan that disappeared. Any any good band, I think, would do that. Yeah, I would hope so. So also interesting is it just a unique identifier. He had a black spot on his left iris. He was also an avid tennis player. And this next part actually really hurts my heart. A month before he disappeared, his mother died of cancer. So could you imagine you lose your spouse to cancer and then your son goes missing? Yeah, I I can't even imagine what his father was going through. And and he had a brother, too. Yeah, both of them. My heart just hurt for them so much as I like read through all of this. But so Brian was really close to his mom and she had worked as a nurse. And so she had actually inspired him to pursue a career in the medical field, which I thought was very sweet. Yeah, because I feel like you don't often hear sons be like, my mother inspired me to do X, Y, Z, especially. Yeah. What? Almost 20 years ago. It's true. So now we're going to talk about the actual disappearance. And it happened in April of 2006. So we just passed the 15 year anniversary of his disappearance. And it's heartbreaking that it, nothing has changed, really. If you think about it, there's been a couple tips and things to come through and we'll talk about it in a bit. But we're still where we left off back in 2006. I think that is one of the saddest parts of this is that I feel like with a lot of cases, it's kind of like a time release, like you get a little more info and a little more info and a little more info. And I feel like with this case, 
what you got was a process of elimination, which it's like, it's not this. It's likely not this. It's likely not this versus we found this piece of information. Yeah. It's an absence more for this one. Yeah. So where he was last seen was called the Ugly Tuna Saluna, and it's located in Columbus, Ohio. And the last time he was seen was very early in the morning, right before 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. And the Ugly Tuna Saluna is near the college campus. So it's a college bar for the most part. I believe it's about six blocks. Yeah. And so it's kind of just to paint a picture of the uh, environment that he was in. It was like a college area, like a party area. There's a bunch of shops. There's a lot of food. Uh, on Google Maps now, there's a movie theater right next to it. He was last seen wearing an olive green short-sleeved polo shirt over a white long-sleeved shirt. Which feels very 2006, by the way. In the early 2000s, late 90s, you expressed that you were a person who liked rock music by wearing like a long-sleeved shirt with a t-shirt over top. I saw that in a meme somewhere and I was like, it's true. We all did it. <laughs> but he had that Pearl Jam tap, baby. He did. Yeah. So... He was wearing also blue jeans, white Adidas sneakers. He had a yellow rubber cancer awareness bracelet. Hurts my heart. All of this is on NamUs too, if you ever want to look at his little profile. And we scoured the internet. We've read everything from any news article we could find, to interviews, to Reddit threads. We went down a couple rabbit holes while looking through this. Yeah. And so we kind of created a timeline that put everything together. And I will say some accounts in certain news sources did differ slightly. So this is just the best one we could make. A lot of the information that creates this timeline was by his friends and people that were with him and they were all drinking. So I just want to put that at the top of this. So let's start out with what was happening. He had just finished finals week and this was the first day of spring break technically. Yes. So it was a happy day for any college kid. Before 9 p.m., he had had dinner with his father at a steakhouse. And he even told his father about his finals week, how that went, how he was exhausted from studying, and how he was supposed to meet some friends. Also, just a quick note, his friends wanted to meet up earlier in the night, but he actually said, no, I'm hanging out with my dad for a bit and pushed that back. I know his dad was still grieving, so I'm sure he was like, whatever dad wants, right? Of course. His dad later mentioned that he did seem exhausted from studying and he wasn't sure why he wanted to go out that night. Another quick piece of information is he also, he's very popular. He was invited by his brother Derek and his wife Renee to go to a comedy show with them, but he obviously already had other plans, so he did decline. And Derek, his brother mentioned about possibly meeting up with him after, but then after the comedy show, him and his wife retired and just decided to call it a night and went home. I've also seen where his brother has said that he often wonders if Brian would be around if he had just went and he like holds that, which of course I feel like most people would but yeah that's just so heartbreaking because he was just like no I don't feel like going drinking and didn't think it was that decision you know what I mean he was thinking I don't want to go drinking not do I ever want to see my brother again right and I can't even imagine putting myself in that place where yeah I could have talked to him you know maybe I could have watched what he was doing or maybe we could have walked out of the bar together sad Another note is between six and seven, he did send Alexis a MySpace message about being excited for a trip that was coming up. And we'll talk more about that in a minute, too. Remember MySpace? Boy, do I. And so many articles and so many interviews, they talk about MySpace. And every time I'm like, I don't even know if I could work MySpace again. Funny story. I've recently logged into my MySpace. It defies logic. Oh, I don't understand it anymore. Yeah, I've tried. So... He sends her a MySpace message, which I guess it's cute because you don't know when they're going to open it. Just being excited about the trip. 
So around 9 p.m., Brian is meeting up with friends, right? One of his friends is named Clint. His actual name is William Clint Florence, but he goes by Clint. So Clint went to pick up Brian from his apartment, which was very close to the bar, blocks away. And they headed to Ugly Tuna Saluna. And then throughout the night, there's sometimes where the time frames are a little skewed. And again, they were drinking, they were having fun. So I understand it. But at some point during the night, he did call his girlfriend and he left her a voicemail saying that he loved her. And then he also did talk to her around 10 p.m. And she said that he sounded fine, not upset at all, not out of the ordinary. And just a reason why Alexis wasn't there that night, too, is she actually went to visit her parents in Toledo. And I saw on Reddit, and this made me really sad, the reason she left to go to Toledo was to visit the family's dog because she wasn't doing well. And then in another thread, I saw that he had mentioned to her that he was going to be talking to the guys about her that night. And a lot of people speculate that maybe he was going to tell the guys, I'm going to propose to her. That's odd. And it also sounds like the plot of a early aughts rom-com. Very true. So him and his girlfriend, Alexis, were actually going to be leaving to go to Florida on the 3rd, so April 3rd. The trip had been a gift from his mother, And remember, she had just passed away. She bought it for them for Christmas. And everyone speculates that during this trip, he was going to propose to Alexis. And I even saw that family members had confirmed that she had been involved in a possible ring like his mom had. Mm -hmm. So why not do it there, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Also, from what I had saw, there were a few different accounts where I saw that she had given him cash to buy a ring. So there would be a kind of symmetry on a trip that his mother bought, giving her a ring that she, you know what I mean? Like, and if she was sick, too, I could totally see a sick mom pushing it along like, I like her. Let's do this. I want to be here as long as I can to see all this stuff. Also, like, wouldn't you want to know the person who your kid ended up with, especially if they're a good egg, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And they were both going to college together. They, They were a good match, I think. Yeah, she was a med student, too. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they were supposed to go on this fun trip, and we'll we'll get to it, but he doesn't show for this trip. So after 10 p.m., Clint and Brian had actually left the Ugly Tuna Saluna, and they went to the Arena District to go to North Short Tavern, then Brothers. So they were bar hopping. I've seen on other accounts, too, that Clint mentioned that they were taking shots at a lot of these bars. So I could only imagine what state they were in during this and why the time frame might be a little hazy. Absolutely. They had met some friends there. And then also one of Clint's friends named Meredith Reed, they called her towards what I understand the end of the night. And then she drove them back to Ugly Tuna Saluna, basically to close down the bar with them. They're going to have like a last round, hang out for a little bit, and then call it a night. So this is putting us into April 1st, right? They started their night March 31st. This is early hours of April 1st. Around 1.15 a.m., security cameras pick up Brian, Meredith, and Clint on the escalator going up to Ugly Tuna Saluna. This building isn't like your typical bar building, right? Yeah, it was weird. I know we have one that it looks similar to some of the um, places I've been in downtown phoenix where yeah there's escalators up and down to this bar and that's like how you get in right i don't know of another way to get to certain ones like that so they're going up the escalator the best way i can describe it from these cameras is it's like a shopping mall you walk in and there's a bunch of different things you can do if you go up the escalators you can go to ugly tuna but if you turn i want to say to the left there's open floor where it looks like there might be other shops possibly or other places you could visit. And I did see too on a YouTube video of someone exploring the area that there is another set of stairs on that same floor. So it seems like there's a lot of different places that you can go. There would have to be, right? 
I went on Google Maps and I did the little, you know, you could drag your little man and walk around. And I kind of walked around the area. Yeah. I I could not find a really good video on YouTube. There is one of a man who took his, it looks like his cell phone and just walked around and then he'd like pan the shot here and there. So I appreciated that just to understand how the building was. Mm -hmm. But without being there, it's probably hard to tell you exactly how the building was situated. But anyways, you go through, you go up the escalator, you can go into the Ugly Tuna Saluna, or you could make a left and there's more stores or possibly other shops. I don't know what they were at that time. So just before 2 a.m., Brian is last seen on camera. He's outside the bar. He's on camera. It's between the bar and the escalators. When you're looking at this video footage, you see some security guards. You see people talking and chatting. Very happy scene, right? It's at a bar right before closing. So everyone is a little intoxicated, having a good time. We find out later that on the camera, he is talking to two women. One is named Brighton Zadko and one is Amber Ruick. And I've seen a number of different accounts that he was kind of hitting on the women and that Brighton actually put her number in his phone. I also saw where Clint said that he was going to, quote, do his thing, Mm -hmm. which kind of seems like perhaps he was the kind of guy who flirted. So there's accounts of that. I've seen, too, that he was talking to Brighton and Clint was talking mainly with Amber. He came out with the girls, but maybe inside that that's the arrangement they were talking in. I don't know. But on some accounts, Brighton put her number in his phone and then she walks back inside to use the restroom. And afterwards, she doesn't know where he is. I'm assuming she just thought maybe he left. The bar's almost closing, so makes sense. I've seen multiple people say that it looks like he says farewell on the camera because you can't really see them that much in the, in the video. It's kind of like him in the corner. What did you think about this footage here? Is there anything that you noticed? I've watched it like a hundred times now. The first thing that I noticed was that it was like the worst video quality that I've ever seen. It looked like <laughs> it was shot in a flip phone. Yeah, yeah. So they're like, do you see right there? He's smiling. And I was like, is that a human? You're squinting so much at it because you want it to be clearer. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say a lot. You can see him come in. You see him be there. When I was looking at it, it didn't look like he was being overly flirtatious with them. I did see it almost looks like he like goes not to like creepy touch them, but like touch one of the girls. I don't know to put his arm around her or something. Yeah. And then they kind of shy away. But again, it's terrible quality. So you're like, is that what happened? Is it that they're drunk and they're stumbling? I don't know. Yeah. Very strange. Very, very strange. Yeah. And so at the end of the video, they all turn towards the bar. But I will say, you don't know if they went in Mm -mm. because there is a little bit of a ledge between where that ends and where the bar is. And I'm just basing this off of videos of people going up the escalator that they've taken where the bar is a little bit further back in there. Yeah. So did he go back in? I don't know. Every account that I see where people are describing the video, they're like, he turned and headed towards the bar. Mm hmm. It's not that he went in because we can't verify that. The last he was seen, he was headed that way. Right. And Clint and Meredith say that they spoke with him when he came back inside and they told him, hey, we're ready to go. And then he said, again, this is different accounts. Some say he said, "Okay, I'll be right back. Some say I'm going to go talk to the band real quick. But he went somewhere with the intention of coming back. Yeah. So remember, bars closing and most bars close around 2 a.m. This one, I guess, had it posted that they closed at 2.30, but I think it was just they give the bartender and all the people enough time to get everyone out. Yeah. Because if you've ever been to a bar at closing, 
even though it's 2 a.m., not everyone is outside at 2 a.m. They're like paying their tabs. They're going to the bathroom. They're getting water. You know, there's things that you do to like finish out the night. They're searching for their party. Exactly. So between about 2 and 2.09-ish is when his friends are like, huh, where is he? They thought that maybe he had just headed home without telling them and that they just got separated. And they, they said that sometimes he does wander off. So it wouldn't be like uncharacteristic for him to just, okay, I'm done here and go home. He lived very close. So it was like he could easily walk home. No problem. That sounds so annoying, by the way. Oh, yeah. Like stressful. I'd be so mad. Well, first off, like it's different for women when you go out. Mm -hmm. If one of your ducklings is unaccounted for, there is no going home. They're dead. They've been taken. Mm-hmm. you must begin your investigation immediately. Yeah, they're drugged, something. Yeah. There's no easy, they went to the bathroom, it's they are dead. Yeah, there's no like, oh, they found their way home. It's, I don't have a text. I'm assuming death until like proof of life is given. Exactly. In a bar near campus, I would imagine that Clint was probably like, come on, man. Right when he left. So like, wasn't on alert. Do you know, does that make sense? Yeah. Like he wasn't like, where's Brian? He wasn't like, we should drive by here. We should look there. It was like, we called him, we texted him. He didn't answer, let's go. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Meredith does call him at 2.01 a.m. And she says that it went straight to voicemail, but she left him a message asking where he was. And let's talk about phones back then, too. So 2006. Typing in 2006 cell phone. Okay. I'm thinking of Nokia, you know, those ones that you could like throw at the wall and they'd still like be on for four years after that. And I did. I had a lucky hot pink Nokia phone and I had dropped it from like my loft bed. Just put it back together. That phone was made of pure magic because I won Melissa Etheridge tickets on that. (laughs) I won like six different movie premiere tickets, comedy club show tickets, gift cards. Like I would call into radio stations to win and I always won. Every time I tried on my magic Nokia. But let's take a look at what the internet says the best mobile phones of 2006 were, just because I need to get the vibe. Oh, wow. No, it's the year of the razor, baby. Oh, was it? Okay, so phones declined here, 2006. (laughs) Yeah, people were still using Blackberry. Blackberry Pearl was a big thing. Yeah. Well, the only reason I bring it up is because she called him, right? It went straight to voicemail. In my head, when a phone goes straight to voicemail, it's either because it died or it's turned off, right? And the reason why I bring that up is because if it was like the old school Nokia or the ones before it had a screen the size of your hand, they'd last for days. They really did last a long time. Like you could charge them once. Mm Mm-hmm. So my thought is, did he turn it off for some reason? It could have died. You know, it's finals week. He was just like, I don't care when I charge my phone. I don't know. But especially if Alexis was having a really shitty night with her dying dog, Mm -hmm. you would think that his phone would have been charged. Yeah. And that might be me expecting too much. I don't know. I'm thinking college student, but you know, he's 27 at the time. Yeah. He was also going out drinking, though. And in 2006, a cell phone was a bonus, right? Think about like when you first started using cell phones. Like I was, oh my God, turning, what's math, man? I was 19 in 2006. So I had been texting for years, right? Because that was like part of what we did at that point, right? Mm-hmm. It took forever. And it took forever. You did it with numbers. You knew you had to push a number like a certain amount of time to get a letter. It was very interesting. But texting wasn't so much of a thing for, I would imagine, him, right? Because it wasn't really what he grew up using. Well, that's why Meredith called, right? Mm-hmm. It was a lot more calling. 
Mm-hmm. So I wonder if even like he could have turned it off because he was like, I don't want to talk to my girlfriend. She's kind of a downer right now. From the descriptions that I saw, she was like trying to talk to him. And he's like, no, no, no tonight's the night I'm going to talk about the guys to you. It seemed kind of a little like he was placating her a little bit. And that could just be like my reading of it. But it didn't seem like he was like, let's have a long conversation. Well, I mean, he took the time to message her about the trip. That's true. He left her a voicemail at one point. He did answer when she called to talk about the dog. I also feel like you could lose your phone a lot easier then. That's true, too. You could leave it someplace or... Mm -hmm. Or maybe if something did happen, maybe it got broken. The fact that it went straight to voicemail, whereas a couple hours before that, it was ringing. What happened in between there? Well, and even if we're saying that she called him at, what, 2.09? We know that less than 15 minutes before that, Brighton was putting her phone number in his phone. So he had it. Yeah. Yeah. It was alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. I'm saying a few hours, but you're right. It's only 15 minutes before that. It was working. Yeah. So what changed? We're probably putting too much emphasis on that, but that kind of bothered me (laughs) when I was reading it. And I was like, why did it go straight to voicemail? What happened? Yeah. But anyways, so they don't get a hold of him. They're like, all right, well, we're going to go home. And so Clint and Meredith are seen leaving the the garage at 2.09 a.m. So remember, this is early morning of April 1st. Later that morning... Alexis was concerned that she also could not get a hold of him. Many people had tried to get a hold of Brian. Clint had called him around 11 a.m. Basically like, I missed you last night. Where'd you go? Yeah. He doesn't show up for the flight to Miami that him and Alexis had been talking about and planning and excited for. This was where everyone's like, okay, something is definitely wrong. He would not have missed this. Yeah. And he was reported missing. So we're going to shift a little bit, right? So Amanda was just kind of going through what are all the things that happened during his disappearance and leading up to it, right? So now we're going to talk about just other kind of interesting wrinkles. So the first is that the belongings that he had on him, including his phone, keys, wallet, and clothes and shoes were never found. Not in part, just gone. I've also seen that the check for Brian's tuition was returned because it wasn't cashed. Okay. And I've seen some sources say that his tuition just wasn't paid because his father had written the check, I believe. And then I've also seen where some folks say like, oh, they didn't cash his check because it was after his missing persons report. Okay. I'm not sure if it was for that semester or for the next semester, but that was kind of a strange wrinkle because when you're paying out of pocket for college, you can have a balance well into your semester. You know what I mean? Like they're not like, you can't go to class. So that was an odd wrinkle. Yeah. So the Ugly Tuna Saluna. I just, I hate saying the name of that. It just feels weird in the mouth. It just sounds like I wouldn't want to go there because of its name. I don't know why, but I hate it. Yeah, no, I mean, agreed, agreed. So Amanda and I were talking before we started recording, as we sometimes do, every time we do. (laughs) And we were mentioning how when you talk about the layout of the Ugly Tuna, you generally see sources that are like... Here's the whole story, including about the exits. There's not a lot that I've heard generally that just covers the exits themselves. Yeah. But so we know there were several exits. There was one that led to a construction area. There was a service entrance, which may or may not have a freight elevator. I would imagine it would if it was going to have to carry up musical instruments. And that's obviously that's like where the band would come in. I would imagine that would also be where they got their deliveries. And I saw too that there was normally a security guard stationed there because they didn't want randos running around outside of where they can watch them. Yeah, that makes sense. And then there was just like the known entrance exit. Mm -hmm. And so the known entrance exit had a security camera. We'll get to that in a moment. And that I believe it was the service entrance that was near the garage parking lot. 
Yeah. And when I did my Google map exploration of it, between the building of where the ugly tuna was and where there's other like emergency exits, there's kind of like an alleyway and then a parking garage. And there's a couple doors labeled emergency exit, but they're on the bottom floor. He would have had to be able to get downstairs somehow and exit through that to get to those. Also, most emergency exits, if you leave through them, an alarm will go off. Well, we'd like to say that, but we know in other investigations, employees turn them off so they can have cigarette breaks or whatever, too. So we're like, that's true. Was there an alarm? Could it be turned off easily? We don't know. And I could not find anywhere that just went through every single entrance and exit of the building. There's just a lot of people that have walked around it with their camera phone. Yeah. (laughs) And there's a couple articles that mention a few of them, but none of them have like a comprehensive plan of the building. Yeah. And then after being open for 14 years, the Ugly Tuna Saluna closed because they couldn't renew their lease. And they ended up moving to a new location and creatively they renamed themselves Ugly Tuna Saluna 2, which, okay. So let's talk about Brian's apartment. His car was still parked where he he had left it outside of his apartment because remember he didn't drive there. So that kind of tracks. His apartment itself was neat and nothing really looked amiss. Alexis, his girlfriend, in interviews, she talked about how she had went to his apartment every day for a year just to check if he had come home and she would sit and cry. There was also a significant amount of crime in the area of his neighborhood. I saw many sources talk about that if he would have been walking home even a little bit inebriated, he kind of would have been a target. Yeah. And an easy target at that. And so I was like, that's interesting. I also saw where his father also went to his apartment to see if anything looked strange. And he too didn't see anything weird. Now, note that we haven't said anything about anybody finding an engagement ring. I thought that was weird too. And I wonder if either he had bought it somewhere and never picked it up possibly, but I feel like the family would have known then, right? Yeah. Or if maybe a friend had it to hold on to it before because Alexis might find it in the apartment. I guess. Here's my thing. He was having dinner with his dad on Friday night. I get that he was having it to console his dad, but it was still time with his dad. Mm -hmm. And he was set to leave that Monday. So chances are he probably wouldn't see his dad again before he left. So if he was planning to propose to her, I would imagine he would have said something to his father. And especially he also talked to his brother. Didn't mention anything about a proposal there either. So... Yeah, it's not the biggest of deals, but it kind of like it plays into like Alexis was in one spot thinking like he's about to propose. And then Brian doesn't have a ring that we know about, hasn't told anybody that he's proposing that we know about. And he's possibly hitting on girls at bars. Right. So a note that following May on the 11th, Brian's apartment was broken into. The door was kicked in and burglars had taken a TV and some DVDs. And Alexis confirmed what was missing because she'd been there so often. I also thought just generally that it was interesting that they kept up the lease. Yeah. It may have been paid for a while, but it's interesting that they left the apartment empty for at least a year because she was going to it. Well, I think of it as like when someone's child disappears and they leave the room. Yeah. And even after an outcome sometimes too. So I wonder if either he had, yeah, paid it for a long time or maybe his dad or someone was still paying it in case he came home. No, I mean, that it makes sense to me. I just never occurred to me to think about like, oh, what happens to a rented space when that person goes missing? Yeah. Because, I mean, a lot of people wouldn't have the means to keep up the lease on a, an empty apartment that's not being used. But OK, so per the police spokeswoman, quote, there is no evidence that Schaefer's apartment was sought out by the burglars. 
we don't believe he was targeted because he was missing. We just think it was a coincidence. And that's backed up by the fact that his neighbor's door had also been kicked in and other apartments on the same street had been broken into. And yeah, that gives you a look at how that neighborhood was too, right? Yes. I think that detail in particular is an interesting one because when we're talking about like, eh, it wasn't a good neighborhood. What does that mean? You know, like what is a good neighborhood? What's a bad neighborhood? But like there's burglaries happening. People are kicking open doors. Yeah. Interesting. So let's talk about the investigation a little bit. So a couple members of law enforcement that are discussed in a lot of the articles are Sergeant John Hurst, Detective Andre Edwards, and Detective Blanche Tucker. And there have been many searches of everywhere around where he disappeared. So the Ugly Tuna Saluna, neighboring construction areas, locations in between. They've searched that. They've looked at cameras. They've looked at dumpsters horrible. Police expanded their search the following Monday when he didn't show up for his flight. So Detective Edwards watched the footage to make sure that everyone exiting the bar matched someone who entered. They knew if he had changed clothes or disguised himself. Didn't even occur to me. Well, first off, yeah, that didn't occur to me that he put on a top hat and left, you know, like that's stupid. In my eyes, it was the glasses with the nose. Yeah. Okay, yeah, mustache. Maybe a hat that had hair on it. You know what I'm talking about? It's a whole vibe. He's incognito. And also, looking at that footage, can you imagine trying to match up this person with this blurry face? Oh, that's that person that just left. Or like, if they don't leave with the same people or in the same types of groups. Or what about like people like you and I that are very short? If we walked and like we had people behind us, we disappeared too. I think that him saying for sure that he matched everyone entering and exiting aside from Brian, I honestly don't know how that was done. I don't see that being done accurately with the footage that I saw. And maybe there's more, maybe there's something else or a really cool technology that they had to do this. But in my eyes, that would have been impossible. Yeah. And I would say even for 2006 standards, the image was pretty blurry. Also, did you see anywhere any notation or any discussion about whether he closed his tab? I saw, I think, on a Reddit thread about the tab and that there was two different things that I read. So I couldn't find an actual news article that I was like, all right, I believe this. Yeah. Some say he paid it with one of his cards and that's like the last transaction. Mm -hmm. And some say that he had paid cash. I do think that's another interesting facet of this case is that normally when you look at armchair sleuths and armchair detectives, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But with this, a lot of the aggregations of data is done by armchair detectives. Like there's news articles, but I don't think there's any comprehensive news source that has everything written down where it's like the whole story with every detail. So a couple things that they did try to look into as well. They tried to track his cell phone, right, and work with the cell phone company. But unfortunately, in 2006, the technology that we have today where they can pinpoint a bunch more based off of your phone's location wasn't available with this phone. I did see somewhere too that GPS just wasn't enabled on his phone. Which makes sense because this was a time before we did maps on our phone. Yeah. Back in this time, you printed MapQuest out and you read it from a printout as you drove. Yeah. Oh, and I never want to go back to that again, by the way. No. The last signal to his phone was around 2.10 a.m. and it was a text from Clint asking where he was. And if the phone was dead or off, wouldn't that have not pinged? That wouldn't have pinged. You're right. 
So why did it go straight to voicemail unless someone clicked decline that call when Meredith called? It may have. I guess then it would have rang at least once, right? Couldn't you set... Do you remember back in the day? Set it to do not disturb. I don't remember the settings, but I do remember that you had a finite number of minutes. And that was a lot more important back then. That's true. So it could be that he was out of minutes. Huh. Or that like he had turned off calls Mm -hmm. maybe maybe and that's why the text would have pinged i don't know they also tracked his credit cards and bank account and there has not been any activity since he disappeared so if he was you know when we're talking about maybe walking home and got mugged or something you would think that they would have like used his card that's not the case here yeah or if he had cash to close his bar tab he would still have cash right that's true so there's also no bus, no plane tickets, nothing bought under his name. And they also did monitor his cell phone. And why I say that is Alexis called almost daily for a whole year. So months later in September of 2006, it did ring. It didn't go straight to voicemail like it had been every other day. But an analyst for the cell phone company said it was a glitch in the system. However, it did ping. I think it was like 15 miles away. Yeah. So I don't know why it would choose that tower to ping off of unless somehow it had gone over there at one point. Or maybe it was just a true glitch in the system and it just picked a random tower in sort of that area. I don't know. But either way, it's heartbreaking for Alexis to have that little glimmer of hope for a second. And then, no, that's a glitch. It didn't happen. It's wrong. Just follow me. I talked about radio contests earlier. Have you ever called into a radio contest and gotten through? Yes. Where it rings and isn't busy? Yes. When you hear that first ring, that like hope you get, Mm -hmm. that times I feel like a thousand is how I imagine she felt. That like... (gasps) You know what I mean? Because like, right, it's back on. She's so used to that. No, no. And honestly, she may have just been calling so she could hear his voice on the voicemail. I feel like that's why I would probably call. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Just like that hurts my heart so much thinking about like how she felt in that moment that like hope and then just. (sighs) Mm hmm. In watching some of her interviews, too, throughout the whole process of this is heartbreaking. There's a video of her, I think, at like the break-in, talking about what was missing. There's videos of her saying that she's not giving up hope. There's videos of her talking about how she was searching dumpsters with people. That poor, poor girl. She really did everything in her power to try to find him. Above and beyond. Mm -hmm. So... They did use cadaver dogs, too. And we've done a whole episode on animals and the incredible abilities that they have. And they used the cadaver dogs to search all over. So they searched the campus. They searched the actual building itself. They searched the construction site. And I saw on some of the boards that the dogs kind of looked at the construction site a little bit more, like they went over to it and to a certain door in the building. Mm -hmm. But I didn't see that on any other place. So I don't know if that's true or not. I think that's one of the things that also kind of frustrates me this case is that one person misreading something from a different source and then when they include it in their aggregation could make 10 people not understand a certain part. You know what I mean? Like Exactly. Like misinformation spreads really quickly mm-hmm. when it's not verified fact check sources, which is why we mentioned. Yeah. When we were saying it so often with this case, like, oh, and we saw it here because if it isn't concrete proof, I don't want someone to go, this is what happened. With this one, I feel like we relied on like armchair detective sources a little bit more than we have on other ones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of the time we're at like government websites. So some people talked about how like the dogs might not have picked up a scent because it was way too soon after. 
But we know that that's not the case. We actually did discuss that in our crime fighting critters episode that dogs do have the ability to do it very, very quickly. And other people have discussed that it did rain between this time frame and when he disappeared. And so maybe that could have displaced some of the scents. I know that when we've talked about cadaver dogs in the past, we've talked about how most dogs are trained to be able to alert to new to very decomposed bodies. So poorly trained cadaver dogs doesn't sit well with me. No. And I will note, too, if it is true that they were alerted towards that construction site, I saw a lot of people say, well, maybe he fell down into something. Maybe he hurt himself really bad. Maybe he got put into a floor. I don't know. But they did say that it wasn't somewhere that someone would want to be. So like, especially a drunk person Mm -hmm. or, you know, I don't know if he was super drunk, if he was just a little buzzed. But if he would have like opened that door to the construction, it would have been like, oh, this looks too hard. Yeah. Not wanting to go out there. Or it could have looked, hey, let's go exploring. Yeah. So Detective Hearst spoke with the band that was playing that night, and they were called Rock House. And from what I saw, they didn't remember talking to Brian. Remember how some people said, oh, Clint mentioned that he went to go talk to the band for a second. They don't remember that. The band was seen leaving the bar through the service exit, though. And again, I know Lindsay mentioned it, but yeah, when you have a drum set and a bunch of equipment, they need a separate entrance or exit normally because their stuff's going to be bigger and bulkier and like it's going to block off patrons. Yeah. So that makes sense to me. I also feel like if there was somebody scooting out in that exit while they were like breaking down and taking down all their equipment, they would have noticed because their equipment is probably outside with a van. So like they would have been like, who's outside near our stuff? Right? See, I actually think the opposite because I used to go to a ton of local shows. I I know they say they don't remember him talking to them, but a lot of people will talk to the band for a few minutes or they'll just run outside to grab a cigarette with someone and easily slip through. And the reason why I I say this could have been a thing is because to the security guard, if you walk out with a band and they don't look at you funny, you're with the band. Yeah. And especially a little like college bar, I don't see them going, do you have a lanyard on? Do you have that? Like, I don't think that they're checking anything. So like if the security guard might have seen a guy that looks like he could have possibly been with the band leaving at the same time, maybe he just wasn't stopped and that one didn't have a camera pointed at it. I don't know. I think that makes sense. My thing is more like, I think the band would have been more likely to remember him had he left when they left. But if they weren't talking, like maybe he was just like, oh, they're going this way. There's an exit and just like walked like he owned the place out. Mm -hmm. Maybe no one called it. That's true. I just feel like if no one made a big deal of it, that maybe no one would have remembered it either. Fair. And also, I'm sure like if they play there before, I'm sure it all blurred together. That's true. Right? Like imagine you played at a bar, you know, every weekend or anytime more than once. I'm sure unless there was something eventful, it wouldn't phase you. Exactly. And then also, they weren't interviewed the day after, you know, like he wasn't even missing yet. Yeah. So why would they remember that when, yeah, they have other shows? So they did interview Brian's family, his friends. Here's where it gets a little weird. A lot of them took a polygraph and they passed. Meredith Reed did. She was with them that night. She took it, passed about a month after his disappearance. Okay, I want you to hold on to that thought for when we get to Clinton a little bit. Another person that was interviewed, 
Brighton Zadko. Remember, this is the girl that he was talking to the last time he was seen, right, on the video surveillance footage. And she gave them information, but then in 2018, she did an interview. So I can't find what she told the police. That wasn't really released. But I did find some information from her interview. And she talks about how they were drinking and the night was a little fuzzy. She does say that Brian was more buzzed than drunk. And she does confirm that he was flirtatious. She said that Clint and Brian had had some sort of argument later in the night, but she didn't really know what it was about. She couldn't really talk about what it was. And I'm sure, you know, like drinking with your friends can get annoyed pretty easily, right? It could have even been as simple as like, we're leaving now. Mm, Give me a few minutes. He's like, oh, come on. And somebody's just frustrated with you. And like from somebody else, like if you're animated, it looks more like a thing than it actually is. That's true. So after the talk on the camera, they were off camera for a couple minutes continuing the talk. So remember how we're like, oh, it looks like they went back inside. Sounds like they might have talked just off camera for a couple minutes. And then she left to go inside from what I understand. Yeah. She also mentioned that there was a beige door that led to the construction site and that she did indeed put her number in his phone. She did confirm as well that after she used the restroom, she wasn't able to find him. And she can't quite remember if when she did walk in to use the restroom, if he followed her into the bar or if he turned around. She doesn't know. Now, Amber Ruick, she was never asked to take a polygraph. The door that Brian was seen by had a security guard that was watching it. Sergeant Hurst said that the door was chained, but someone could squeeze through it. And and this is why I'm getting a little like annoyed with these doors is because everyone has a different account of where these doors were, what they looked like, what they were used for, and whether or not someone could go through it. Yeah. And I think that's partially why everyone has such a different opinion of this case, because the first time I read it, and I, I already told you it was years ago, and I was just like... That's really weird, but also it's very weird to me that a bar would only have one exit, especially like what if there's a fire or what if there was an altercation or unfortunately in these days we think of like a shooting or something terrible, right? Is there really only one place for people to exit? No, there has to be more. And then some people are saying they're chained. Some people are saying they're security. Some people are saying, no, there's uh, cameras. I cannot find (laughs) accurate information. Just I'm going off of what people are saying. Yeah. So- Included in this jumble of was there security cameras, whatever, there's a note that there was a camera in the area that re-recorded information. So it like recorded over certain intervals and they weren't able to get to it in time between him disappearing and it recording its new feed on one of the doors. I can't confirm if that's accurate or not. It's just something that I saw on a thread. Yeah. So another person that was interviewed was Brian's brother, Derek Schaefer. Now, we mentioned him earlier that they had talked about possibly meeting up, but they didn't. Interestingly, Brian was never asked to take a polygraph, which, okay, either way, sure. Well, he wasn't with him. He wasn't with him. We'll get into Clint in a moment. But Derek is highly suspicious of Clint. Well, I would be too. I would be too if I was him. And so Randy Schaefer, who was Brian and Derek's father, he was also interviewed and he did take a polygraph test. Well, he saw him that night. Yeah. And so let's get to who is likely the most interesting person in terms of like interview. And that's Clint. And as Amanda mentioned before, his full name is William Clint Florence. And so as we have mentioned, some folks think that they had an argument at the bar. He refused at least two requests to be polygraphed. And pretty early on into the investigation, he hired a criminal defense attorney and refused to talk. And as I mentioned, Brian's family found that very suspicious. 
And at first I'm like, he did something, right? Like my mind went, he did something. But then I read a little bit about polygraph tests and why someone might decline it. I sort of jumped more in the middle where I'm like, if it was my friend, I'd be like, what do you want? What do you want me to do? I miss him. What can I do for you? But then I'm like, if people can manipulate them or that they could like fail it accidentally while they're telling the truth. So Mm -hmm. I could see why. But my first thing was, oh, my gosh, what did he do? Yeah. And then remember, Clint also had said that he had seen Brian come back into the bar after talking to the girls. And what I was confused about is like, why didn't they just go, okay, let's go. And especially if my friend's like, no, let me go talk to whoever. Let me go here. I'd go, okay, let me follow you so we can leave. What actually happened in between that time frame of like where he saw him reenter and what direction did he go and where did he go? Why did he go alone? But I can't understand too how a bar that's closing can be a little chaotic with how many people are moving around because normally during open times, everyone's just sitting and like chilling, getting drinks, but it's chaos at the end of the night. Another thought that I had too, and I also read some people mention it, but I I looked into it just a tad. Why wouldn't he cooperate with authorities too is maybe he wasn't hiding that he did something to Brian, but maybe a small detail of what happened that night could make him look bad. Uh, I read that a lot of college students in that area took drugs to get ready for finals and to help them in certain ways. And that possibly maybe he gave some to Brian. And this is very speculative. There is no fact on this. But what if he did something silly like that, where it's like a minor detail? And that might have been why he was so not cooperative. Because remember, they're going to med school. If they're going to be doctors, that seems like a not so good thing to have tied to your name. Feels reasonable. So I looked into a little bit about polygraphs and I already kind of had it in my head that they're just inherently not that reliable. Their use is pretty controversial. It's a whole different can of worms, but whether employers can use them, right? When and how law enforcement can use them. And polygraphs, they're no longer admissible in court, right? And they're really used more as an investigative tool to say like, what is this person lying about? Let's figure out a direction to go in. And when someone says no, they kind of go, hmm, interesting. What are you hiding? Right. And so one of the biggest problems with a polygraph test is, and if you don't know what a polygraph test is, it's basically a lie detector test. It's supposed to be able to tell if you're lying. However, the biggest problem with them is the fact that there's no set of physiological signs that 100% correlate to deception. So say you're a really calm liar, you would pass a polygraph test. Say you're a really nervous person when you talk to police, you might just fail. And sometimes the control questions will be things like, have you ever committed a crime? And so even something like that would be a reason why Clint might not want to because so he smoked a joint, say he shoplifted when he was 15, like something very inconsequential to this case could be bought, brought out. Yeah, he did something silly. Amanda, have you ever watched a crime show? Have you ever watched one of the detectives walk in and they have a folder and there's paper in the folder and they slam it down on the table and they look in the perp's eyes and go, the DNA tests are back. And we know you lied in the polygraph. And then the person just like tells them everything. And the paper was blank right? Because they can lie. So the Hawaii Supreme Court actually recently ruled that you can't do that with actual polygraph tests. Because I looked. Interesting. Yeah, I looked a lot to try to find like, is this something police can lie about? And police can they stomp in and do that whole number though? 
the whole song and dance. They can lie about DNA results. They can lie about witnesses. That seems not cool. Not great. Not great. So if you know that polygraphs can be used as a tool of manipulation, you shouldn't take a polygraph. It doesn't help you as the person who's being investigated because it can only hurt you realistically. Yeah. If you fail... They can use that to know more about the crime. Mm -hmm. If you don't fail, they can still tell you you failed or say you passed. You still can't bring it into court. So what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. And every once in a while, the parties can stipulate that it can be included as evidence. But that's pretty rare. And I would imagine two adverse parties aren't going to agree on that type of evidence. But I don't find it suspect at all that he didn't want to take a polygraph test. I think it was just like smart. But I guess my, my thing is more that the second they started pressing him, I think it makes sense that he hired a criminal attorney. It does. Because this is how people go to prison for innocent things. Because think about all the attention Brian got. He has this sympathetic story, right? Where he seems, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. I'm just saying like, he seems like a good guy. He's got this lovely to be fiance, a grieving father, a brother. I never read a bad word about him. Did you see anything negative ever? I saw a little bit on, and I'll, I'll talk about it in one of the theories, but like he had a DUI in the past, but that was the worst thing that I saw online about him. Yeah. And that's 15 years in, right? So there's this sympathetic person that police want to find someone. They want to find a reason. So I could see, you know, you pin it on the person who was hanging out with him last. I, I think it's 100% reasonable and it doesn't point to any guilt, Right. I do think it's interesting, the theory that he does know something about if he just left a detail that night. I think he knows about. Yeah. And I think that's a really prevalent theory, but I don't think he did anything specifically nefarious. That's the word of tonight. Nefarious. Well, also, it would have had to be so fast. Yeah, absolutely. Some other notes about the investigation. Brian's father, Randy, spoke to psychics. One said that Brian was, quote, submerged in water, held down by the whirlpools that form at the base of a concrete bridge post. Horrifying. Yeah, terrifying, right? And so he lived about a mile away from a river. Randy and Derek went to search. The river was even searched by divers at one point. Mm -hmm. And they didn't find anything. And also, Amanda, who do we love? Who's like favorite for us always? Tim Miller. Tim Miller. Texas EquiSearch also came to Ohio to help search for Brian. They're everywhere. It's funny how connected cases that we choose that we don't think any sort of connection to anything is. No, we never do. Yeah. And then we're like, oh, my gosh, this place that we found did this. And they're always in the background, but they're everywhere. Yeah, they really are. So the Crime Stoppers hotline gets about two tips a month about Brian, but they don't ever really pan out. There hasn't been any news in a pretty long time. Detective Edwards has since retired, but he says that whenever he goes on vacation or he looks into a crowd, he looks for Brian. And I have to tell you, every time we read a missing persons case, I begin to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. I, I don't do it consciously. I'm just like constantly scanning. And we'll talk about what Brian looks like now. But I mean, he wouldn't stand out, you know, what he might look like. Yeah. It always breaks my heart when you talk about like the detectives or the law enforcement that retire and never get a resolution. And it's always on their mind still. Oh, yeah. He's on vacation and he's still thinking about Brian. Just breaks my heart. Yeah. So we said there hadn't been anything new in a long time. 
But in 2020, someone saw a picture of a homeless person in Tijuana, and they said that it looked like Brian. So the FBI used facial recognition analysis, but it didn't match. No, and I guess it was a couple weeks that it took for them to do the analysis. So everyone was like holding their breath. Oof. Yeah, I bet. And so Columbus detective Blanche Tucker told 10TV that she planned to re-interview people from the case and that she thinks that someone is withholding information. Mm-hmm. Could be one or many people. The way she said it, though, I was like, who? And I think she said something like, I'm, I'm not going to say their name, but I feel like she has someone in mind. I mean, that's the thing is that with a case like this that's handled relatively properly. Yeah. All of the information isn't out in the public. We have a lot of answers, but we also don't have all of it. I mean, they very well could have found his personal belongings a decade ago and then just not released it because there was evidence on it. And it made sense to hold that close until they found X, Y, Z. Just because they found something doesn't mean they'll tell us. It also doesn't mean they'll tell the family. Because in a perfect world, we'll put solving crimes over the general public needing to know their curiosity. I want to know for sure. I'd rather there be three steps forward behind the scenes than for there to be everything that exists be out in the public. Yeah. I like to dream and hope that there's more evidence that they can do something with. We're seeing that right now with Fallow. Exactly. And now they're having a hard time being able to get the court case to completion, honestly, because everyone knows everything. Yeah. And so Detective Tucker also noted that she still is working on the case because she wants closure for the family and friends. Yeah. She seemed very sincere in her interview. I liked her. Yeah. So, Lindsay, it's our favorite part. It's time to talk about theories. And some of these are our theories. We've kind of compiled a big list of things that we've seen online, what our thoughts are, what everyone's thoughts are, right? We've also included some facts we haven't discussed yet because this seemed like the most appropriate time to bring them up. Yeah. So some people believe that maybe he just left and didn't want to be found, that this was just an orchestrated exit of his life to go on to a new life. So... Their thoughts as a reason would be his mother had just died of cancer less than a month before he disappeared or before he left. He had a lot of medical school stress. I saw in one article about the inheritance from his mother. And some people were speculating that maybe he did get some money, but it wasn't in a bank account and that he was using it as like start over money. But then I did see in like some Reddit threads that sources said that he didn't even get anything and that his brother Derek received 20000 and it could have just been because of all of his student loans and, and that sort of thing. Like it could have messed something up. So it was like strategically done. Now, another sad part, and I feel horrible for poor Derek. Randy, Derek, and Brian's father died in 2008 due to a freak accident. It was during a storm. And I guess what he, he was outside cleaning up from the storm and then a branch from a tree fell on him and killed him. Yeah. Such a weird way to go, right? So he had like an obituary website and people could leave comments. And there was a note that was allegedly from Brian. And it said, Dad... I love you. Love, Brian. And for the location, it said U.S. Virgin Islands. So everyone, you know, losing their minds. Of course. Police traced where the post had come from, and it was actually just posted from a public computer in Ohio. That makes me so frustrated. I hate people. I hate people. But if Brian was missing, I would hope that he wasn't just in a different county. And also, I don't think it was Brian that put that. Well, if they, the theory says that he just disappeared and didn't want to be found, he wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have done that. He would have grieved his father, but he wouldn't have done it publicly. There's not a world where if I was estranged from my brothers, which 
that can't imagine that either. But there's not a world where I could imagine losing our mom and disappearing and doing that to my siblings. But then when our dad dies, not coming back. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think this is the case. That's why I don't think it's the case is because I think that he would have come back then. Right. Well, other reasons they believe is because Brian mentioned to friends and on MySpace about how much he loved music and that he wanted to actually do that as a career. He wanted to be in a band. And I I believe it was like a MySpace post that said something about the doctor thing being a job and only temporary until he could get his music career started. (laughs) And I'm like, that sounds like a joke. Like, that's something I would post. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go join a band. You know, like, I don't think so. Amanda, I'm not a doctor. Or a scientist. Or a scientist. But there's no part of me that could imagine one going to undergrad, then to med school, then having a residency for a passing whim of a job. No, no. That much time and effort. And also, by the time you graduated, you'd be like in your 30s. And I feel like most bands are together in their 20s or earlier. Not always. Not always. But I feel like most of the time. Yeah. But I I think that was more of like a stressy joke, like maybe where he was like, this is too hard. Yeah. Or like, it's fine if I don't do great on this test because this is just a temporary thing until I get a band together. Like, that's what that sounds like. Yeah. And I guess he did mention to Alexis during that finals week that they should just skip class and go get married and run off together. Again, I think he was joking under stress. Well, in a couple different places, I guess he had told either Alexis or some of his friends how much he cared about his grades. And he had told Alexis at one point he wants to make his mom proud. Yeah. And so I'm sure he wouldn't be like, let's skip finals week. No. You know, like it was a, I don't want to do this because everyone says that. You know what? Never mind. Yeah. Finals week is here. Never mind. I don't want to do it anymore. I will go do anything else. So I think it's a little bit of a stretch to say that he just disappeared. I mean, I guess maybe he could have, but still a stretch. Other people say that because he can adapt to change so well that, yeah, he just got up and left. And as a example, when he got a DUI in 1999, he changed his lifestyle pretty significantly because he was like partying a lot and then he stopped. But then he came back to partying. So I don't know. And then also he had spent some time in Puerto Rico before he was going to Ohio State. So it's like he can up and move easily. And I don't think by spending time in a certain place, that means that you could leave your loved ones forever. Yeah. I mean, there's being adaptable and there's the ability to literally sever ties with everyone who you know and love. Right. So another theory is that Clint did it. They claim that Clint had something to do with it. And I did see, again, on some of the threads that Clint and Brian had fought recently. Not that night, but before that, that on St. Patrick's Day, which is March 17th, so a little less than a month before this, I couldn't find anything about what the fight was about, but there was note that neither of them had texted or called each other for a couple weeks. But Clint, technically the day that he disappeared, you know, he he disappeared technically the following day, but it was early morning, right? Yeah. But that morning he had posted on his MySpace account about what they were doing that night, I guess. Just like a silly comment towards him. Mm -hmm. So they must have made up somewhere between there. Maybe they did it in person, not necessarily through call or text because the phone records, I guess, didn't show it. But also you fight with your friends and especially if you're going through stressful stuff. You probably fight a little bit more. You get a little more annoyed faster. I keep walking the fence with Clint. I think he knows something. Do I think he was causing the disappearance in any way? I don't. But I think that he knows a detail about something. And it could be a silly detail. I've also seen some accounts where people are like, Clint and Brian actually weren't that close. Mm -hmm. Like they were friends, but they weren't like 
BFFs. Yeah. Besties. And so, one, that would explain why he wasn't like, polygraph me up. And two, how they could get through a fight really quickly, even if they had fought. I mean, you can get through a fight with somebody who you deeply care about easily, too, if you really want to. But just like, I think it would have been easier to just be like, whatever, bygones, here we go, bygones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do think there's something there with Clint. Not the whole thing, but something. Another theory is suicide. And I can't get on this one either. Some people believe that he purposefully went out the door leading into the construction site and somehow was buried under the rubble, which I'm like, if he killed himself in this construction site, how would he get under the rubble before the next morning? You know, like someone would see him. Yeah. And it would have also been like relatively easy to see him from the description of what he was wearing. If he had white long sleeves, it would pop against really anything, I feel like. Right. Another reason why they think this is because some sources said that Brian had told Alexis to just move on and find someone else. But then it sounds like in that same week, he was also saying run away wouldn't get married with me. So I really think it was just stress. You lost your mom and now you have finals. Yeah. That guy was going through a lot. Yeah. But. He was very excited about the trip. He made sure to call her. He made sure to message her about how excited he was for the trip. He intended, in my opinion, to go on this trip. I agree. Derek also reports that Brian wasn't depressed and Randy never believed that he just ran away. So something I really couldn't get behind. So another one of the theories is that Brian was a victim of the smiley face killer. I'd heard of smiley face killer in passing, but I hadn't heard anything really intense and I hadn't really looked into it too much. But basically, it's not the smiley face killer. It's the smiley face murder theory. So it's a theory that was put forward by two detectives who are retired now from New York. Their names are Kevin Gannon and Anthony Duart and a criminal justice and gang expert named Dr. Lee Gilbertson. And so... What their theory is about is that there was a serial killer and or group of serial killers who were responsible for the deaths of young men in the Midwest. And the kind of pool of victims are mostly white college aged men who died of an apparent drowning. And so this theory connects the deaths of 45, again, college aged men. And they kind of fit the same kind of personality to like they're popular. They seem athletic. Most of them are white. There's deaths in 11 states that are connected to this. And in over a dozen of the cases, there's smiley face graffiti in close proximity to where the body was found. So their theory says that these bodies that were thought to have washed up after having drowned were actually dumped by the same serial killer or group of serial killers. And it's actually kind of a controversial theory. Most law enforcement doesn't think this is real because the factors linking the victims are too common, right? College-age kids who are popular, who drink who go near water, they drown. That's not groundbreaking. It's sad. It's very, very sad, but it's not groundbreaking. Also, all these theories always assume that there's a, there's actual an actual body. Also, smiley face graffiti is incredibly common. Have you ever used spray paint before? Yep. And I totally did a smiley face. <laughs> Was it the first thing you did? Because it's also the first thing I did. I feel like it's just like your body's like, shh, 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 right? It just feels right. So this is how you start. My graffiti career started with a happy face. <laughs> it also ended with a ended with a like a, a weird grimace that didn't really look like a great smile. But because smiley face graffiti is so prevalent, you can't say like, oh, it's definitely that. It just kind of happens to be in those places because there's a lot of graffiti or tagging. And so they're like, no. And so this doesn't really fit with Brian. So people associate Brian's disappearance with this, but it doesn't really fit because one, 
The river that we talked about before, all like the structures underneath, there's no smiley faces and Brian's body wasn't found. Yeah. So two of the biggest factors don't match. It's just that he's a white college kid who is relatively athletic looking and popular. And it's just not enough of a tie generally. I just thought that was an interesting theory. So there's also a video of a guy who was talking to a spirit box and he asks the spirit box, where's Brian Schaefer? And the ghost, quote unquote, responds, Seattle. Yeah. Which interesting. Spirit boxes always get me. I have one. I, I'm honestly like 50-50. I don't know. But anytime I see those videos of them talking to someone through the spirit box, I always click them. Yeah. It's one of my terrible pastimes. I mean, they are an interesting watch. So there's also some rumors that Brian had made plans to meet other friends at his apartment after he got home. He didn't message Clint or Meredith about it, but if they weren't invited, I guess he wouldn't have. But there weren't any texts after that last one from Clint. So that doesn't really make sense that he was going to meet someone else. Well, I think it's some people believe that there should have been other players involved later and that maybe one of the other friends had something to do with it. So indulge me for a moment. Do you hang out with all of your friends all the time, only together, all at once? No. Okay. So why don't I hear interviews with literally anybody who wasn't there, with the exception of his brother? I only ever hear about interviews with Amber, Brighton, Clint, Meredith. Like, I'm only ever hearing interviews with them, not with other people in his life. I know they interviewed Alexis. But aside from that, I don't hear interviews with anybody. And there are other people that they were with that night, too, at the other bars. Yeah. And so I'm just confused on why the other people who they interviewed, that's never come up. And that's, I think, an example of some of the stuff that law enforcement's going to hold back because they're not going to tell us everything, like every single person involved in his life that they talk to. Because I would also imagine they talk to people like his neighbors. Yeah, probably. And I did see, too, that some people speculate that maybe the reason they returned to Ugly Tuna Saluna is because he planned on meeting someone there. Also, remember, Clint drove him there. They had to go back there at some point. That's one thing that popped into my head the first time I saw that theory is I was like, well, they had to go back. But a lot of people are like, no, why did he go back so late at night? Like, what are you going to do in an hour at a bar? Maybe he was meeting someone that worked there that got off at 2.30 and that maybe he left with them and they would take a different exit to leave. That's an interesting one. So we've talked about the Web Sleuth forums before. I love them. They have a whole little section on Brian. And some people suggest that Brian was hiding in a dumpster as a prank because it was April Fool's and that he ended up getting hurt and couldn't get out. So like drunkenly, he went into a spot that you might not normally go when you were drunk as a joke and then hurt himself and couldn't get out. And then like, you know, it's a shipping container or something like that where you might not notice. And I was like, I've never seen any evidence that points to that. And it just doesn't really make sense to me. I've also seen that some think that the construction site was actually a county investment so that maybe there's a cover up with the construction site. But that also doesn't track with me either. No, I don't think so. There's also a neighboring Wendy's parking lot where a lot of folks say like maybe he was going to get drugs there or he was going there to meet someone or a burger (laughs) or he was going there to meet someone to go to an after party or something like that. And I just haven't seen any evidence of anything like that where that would suggest that he was like out to get drugs or anything like that. No. And also that still doesn't explain where he is. But I will say, as stupid as it sounds, that makes more sense to me than a lot of these other ones. Not drugs, but like at 2 a.m. after the bar, where do you go? I go to get shame food, right? Shame food. Yeah. I love it. Maybe he was getting shame food. I would. I would have went with him to Wendy's. Maybe he was. I do love a Wendy's. So 
Another theory. And this theory, at first I was like, no. And then I looked into it and I was like, oh my gosh, his body could still be at Ugly Tuna. And I was like, that doesn't happen. Like, where would he be? Right? I don't like that. What would happen? Well, one, there was one woman that I found that had been stuck in the vent system of where she worked, but she was found fairly quick. Yeah, I bet the smell. But this is the one this is the one that got me. There's a case of Eduardo Sanchez, and he went missing from a Canadian nightclub on October 12th, 2002. I promise there's a reason I'm going into this. He was last seen with friends at the club where he sometimes worked. He DJed and disappeared. Kind of like the same way he did, right? You see him, you don't. He's not there, just gone. Time goes by, nothing. Then people in the building start complaining a long time after of sewage. And they'd say in the mornings when we come in, it would reek of sewage. And even a neighboring building said, yeah, that building is smelly. So from what I understand, they called out a company or someone to come look and they were using a special camera from a duct cleaning company to snake it between the foundation wall and another wall to see like, what is causing this? And then they found his mummified body. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was a while after. And they were like, did someone put him there? What happened? What it ended up being, which me and you have talked about quite a bit lately, is positional asphyxia, which we keep seeing everywhere. You know how you said once we know it, like it's going to be everywhere? Yeah, I feel like this isn't something that I had heard of before. But now that I have heard of it, I keep seeing cases where yeah, they're like positional asphyxia. And I'm like, I thought this never happened. So they have no idea why he went there or how he got in there. But from all things that I could find, and it's only a couple articles, I only could find a couple on this, that he slipped in there for whatever reason and got stuck. And one article said that he probably died in a few minutes, the way that he was stuck. That doesn't make any sense to me, though. Like, how does that work? How do you even get there? I I guess maybe he was small enough. Again, there's only a few articles on it, and I didn't want to take away from the case that we're talking about. Yeah. But I'm like, oh, my goodness, it does happen where people disappear from a place. They're not seen for a long time. And then it comes up that they were there the whole time. And even a detective went to that area, couldn't fit in. It was like, oh, no one could go in here. It's fine. And that's where he was all along. What if, especially because there was construction, right? Maybe there was a weird thing that was knocked down and he went somewhere stupid because he was drinking or maybe he went somewhere stupid to get away from everyone for a few minutes, got caught and died. I mean, it could happen. At first, I was like, yeah, that's not a thing. And then after I Googled it a while, I was like, oh, I guess this happens to people. Yeah, very strange. So another thing that I hadn't really seen anywhere, but I had pulled up his NamUs profile, right? So like his missing details. And on NamUs, you can search an area and a time frame. Like you could put between these dates and Columbus, Ohio. So I was just messing around one night and I'm like, I wonder if more people disappeared in that area in a time frame. And I started with a year before and a year after, and then I expanded it a bit. And the only thing that I could find in the area is there was a couple men that disappeared. They disappeared within about 15 minutes of where Brian disappeared within a couple years of each other. And it's very similar circumstances. One, Timothy Fisher, who was 45, so a little bit older, he disappeared from Bill's other place, which is a dive bar, according to Google. And it's only 10 minutes away from where Brian was. Then another was from Whitethorn Avenue which was about 12 to 14 minutes away in December of 2006. And his name's Andrew Gray Chapman. I've also seen his picture on posters, like missing persons posters, along with Brian's. People representing both parties have gone to similar events. 
Another disappeared from a Columbus home and never returned. And they were 12 minutes away from Brian. And his name was Jeffrey Allen Stutton. He was 46 and he was last seen October of 2005. So they don't seem very relatable just based off of how old each one was. And they were a little bit different places in life. But what I did find interesting is they were all men. They were all within about 15 minutes of each other. There was not one woman listed for the time frame I did. And again, it was just a couple years. And they all disappeared and have people currently looking for them. That is a peculiar set of factors that would make me go, hmm. Right. And I was like, I don't know if they are related in any way, but it just seemed like something to note. Maybe a serial killer. I don't know. So that is the bulk of what we have to tell you. We just have a few ending notes. There is a Facebook group that we're a part of that's run by a family friend. If you did want to join it, just to kind of keep updated or have conversations about Brian, it's uh, facebook.com slash group slash find Brian Schaefer. Also, if you have any information, you can call one 645 tips and you can remain anonymous. And I thought this was very fascinating. In March of this year, an age progression photo was released of Brian. And if you've seen the cover art for this episode that we have on all of our socials, as we usually do, then you've seen this photo. I will say he looks like a guy who would blend into a crowd. For sure. Just like hard. That's a hard person to find. Somebody who blends well. Do you know what I mean? Because he has like hazel eyes. So they're not like bright at you. And he just seems like a general kind looking dude. Yeah, he could blend into any type of crowd too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. My interpretation of him is like he could float with different types of people. You know, like he had the music scene that he could float around with. He could float around with like the doctor scene. Yeah, he could be anywhere, which is heartbreaking for his remaining family and friends. For sure. So, Lindsay, what do you think happened to Brian Schaefer? What a question. I don't like any of the theories that have been given. None make any sense to me. I don't think that he just up and left because I think he would have come back when his dad died. And also just like the kind of person who pushes back going out with their friends when they've had a stressful week so they can perform emotional labor. Do you know what I mean? Like that doesn't seem like the type of person who just leaves because you leave the same day that you spend time with your grieving father. That just doesn't track with me. Also, I personally don't think he's still in the building anymore, mainly because they have remodeled and there's been new tenants. And it's not altogether surprising that they might drill into a wall or have to cut into an area to fix a pipe. So I think they would have found him by now because we're now very far away from when. If they didn't build a floor over him. Also, I don't think there was any type of like drug deal gone bad. I don't think he fell into a dumpster or crawled into a dumpster on purpose. The only thing that makes any sense to me is he got separated from his friends, didn't see that they had called and decided to walk home and something happened. That to me makes the most sense. And it's not a sexy or exciting or provable fact, but I think that's kind of the awful part about it, right? Yeah, I agree. I think that he slipped out from one of the other exits. There's a ton of them. We don't know every single fact about, but I'm thinking the way that if the band did indeed go through that service door, I think he could have easily slipped through, especially at closing time, while all the people are running around being lunatics and the security guard could have easily been either busy or just didn't notice because he looked like he belonged there. I think he walked out. And from what I understand, too, his apartment wouldn't have been the way where the garage was. It would have been the other way towards the main road. I believe I could be wrong on that. But I believe he left and either was offered maybe a ride, got into a car, something along those lines, because then there wouldn't be any foul play evidence left if that did happen. Well, 
if there was foul play evidence, we also just might not know about it. That's true. But yeah, I do think he got out of the building. I think he was on his way home. And then something, like you said, happened to him then. My one thing is, I feel like we should have found a body by now if it happened within the city limits. But if in my theory where maybe someone picked him up or maybe he like thought he recognized someone and got in a car or something and maybe he headed to that area where the phone did ping, that was supposedly a glitch. Would you like to hear the most interesting thing that I found? Yes. And we haven't talked about it yet, but it had to do with the Facebook group that we mentioned a few minutes ago. Okay. So there was a woman on there. They asked the question on April 2nd of this year. Does anyone know the area? And does anyone know if one of his good friends family has a farm a very particular question yes and several people responded back and forth and said like oh like if you want to see if the Schaefer's had farmland you can search their name in local records if you want to see that clint's family had farmland you can search in local records and what this person said was I've got to look at all the farms. I assume that's what it would be called. They're silos. Being on property, one person told me a friend of his family had a farm, and that's the one I've got to see. Long story and sounds insane. Well, let's go on. What else do we have to say? And so this person like keeps commenting back and forth. And they say, I got my reason to believe he was in the car with another man and female. This is something that I dreamt about six years ago. I began having dreams and visions and shit like that about Brian, and I had never heard of it before. It gives me chills. I know. They came on suddenly and about two dreams a week. I promise I'm not a nut. I actually even talked to the investigator about them because it upset me so bad. This is why I've been asking about farms and silos that can be seen from a road. And if you're standing in the road, this open structure is in the middle of a pretty field. I saw silos and I also see a church near this. And they dreamt for about six months, they described. And that like, they were very anxious. And they're not related to the case in any way, right? No, didn't even hear of it. Didn't even know about it. And so once they realized kind of like what it was about, they reached out to investigators and then somebody suggested a property and she's like, I don't see a church. There needs to be a farm at the silo where you can see a church. All I know is I felt railroad tracks and a dead end road is where I felt something went down. Those horrible dreams that I kept having, I had no clue who or why until later. So did they think it was Clinton Merida, a man and a woman? I mean, it could be, but I will say, here's my thing. It could be any man and any woman. Like, it could be any friend that they had, really. Yeah. But why? Imagine he's walking home and a friendly face picks him up. Yeah. There's no why. That's funny. I didn't read that. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the group, but, you know, I'm in, like you said, we're in so many that I don't see every single post unless I'm looking. I was like scrolling and I was like, what's this? Because it was a very specific question. I was like, you're going to be interesting. I can feel it. Yeah, that's weird. And also, could you imagine how haunting that would be to have dreams for six months about something and then realize it's like about a person who's missing? That sounds terrifying. Oh, my gosh. That call to the investigators. I mean, I'm sure they probably treated them like they were insane, but... Yeah, that's kind of how we treat psychics. But I'm like, oof, that's a thing we haven't looked at. And a thing we haven't heard is, you know, there's farmland around there, right? Midwest, I'm thinking. Generally, I think corn. Hmm. I wonder where his phone pinged if there's farmland over there. Yeah, I think that's like the most recent interesting thing that I've seen. But if you have any thoughts or theories, queries about the case, theories, you know where to find us. It's also going to be on the outro that's going to play in a minute. Yeah, I love reading all of the theories. There was a bunch that we didn't even include. Yeah. And some I read it and I was like, we'll not be discussing that because that's rude. That's your personal biases. No, I've messaged Lindsay, I think a couple times this week where I'm like, I just looked at the clock and it's 4 a.m. and I'm still reading about Brian. Yep. Talk to you tomorrow. And I'm like, go to sleep, honey. I can't. When you get into this, you're going to stay up till 4 a.m. reading about it because it's insane. 
Well, hopefully we've given you some rabbit holes already that you don't feel like you need to have a deep dive into. And with that, have a good weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thank you for listening to Cruel Creep. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps.